Good morning, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Sharings with Drama. Today, it's New Year's Day. I wake up in bed with a feeling of being hangover, even though I'm not. I haven't been drinking alcohol in three and a half years, and uh, even though it's so, uh, to me, three and a half years, it's a lifetime. It's, I said before, it's like I'm living lives in my life. And to me, three and a half years without alcohol, it's a lifetime of its own. And even though I didn't drink anything yesterday, I went to bed at 2.30. Uh, I spent it with my friends and my family, my kids, and uh, we had a lovely evening. I wake up today with a feeling of being hangover. And I know it. I know exactly what it is. It's a bit of, you know, heaviness. It's a bit of my mood is a bit down. I feel kind of consequences from something I did that wasn't perfect yesterday. And the weird thing is, I didn't do anything that wasn't perfect yesterday. I was just having a lovely evening with my friends and family. So I wake up now. And I have this strong, strong urge to share about alcohol. Alcohol in my life, alcohol, how I see it, affect other people's lives. And just share openly about it. My youngest daughter, uh, Maya, she had a friend, uh, Julia, there. Uh, maybe I need to erase that. I need to ask the girls if that is okay. Anyhow, Julia, she has, we spoke a lot yesterday, they were super, super sweet, and they were going, they had like so many party options, and uh, and they were both so shy, they were like, mom, we can't go there because the guy, he invited me, and I, I love him so much, I'm, I'm so in love with him, I don't know if I dare to go there, and 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 the other girl says like, but I'm so shy, I don't even dare to talk to people, and um I said, that's why I began to drink alcohol. I was extremely shy. And Julia looked at me and said, Shama, is that true? And I said, yes. You know, when I was 14, I never spoke to a guy. I never kissed a guy. I was terrified. I was the one, whenever those games were on when you were supposed to kiss someone, I was the one leaving for the bathroom or going home. And she was like, okay. The problem is that... I don't like alcohol, you know. And I'm like, I don't think I liked alcohol either. But it did a lot of good stuff for me when I was 14, 15, 16. It took me out of my introvert shell. And I'm not encouraging you to do the same. I'm just saying that it kind of, in a way, saved me from my own shy personality. So what you can do instead is just to realize that, okay, this is who I am. I'm shy amongst people. And what can go bad? I mean, I won't meet a guy if I don't go to a party or if I don't hang out with people. And you just, instead of drinking alcohol to make you brave, you make yourself brave by being your best friend and encouraging you. And uh, so the girls went off later and I met my daughter Maya in the bathroom this morning. I woke up at six when she came home. Maybe that also is what gives me a piece of hangover you know that 
knowing that how other people feel and meeting them, smelling the alcohol on the breath and yeah. <clears throat> so when I was 14, I had my first drink and it was not nirvana. It was not like people share that was the best thing ever. Maybe the second time or the third time, I don't know. But then I began to interact with guys and we began to hang out with them. We had a lot of fun. It was quite innocent in the beginning, I must say. Even though I had sex the first time when I was 14, I was not drunk at the time. I was not actually aware that it happened because I felt it didn't work. And uh, then it took like a year after I did it again and I the sex part I didn't really get it <laughs> and it was nothing sad about it. it was nothing it was just like nothing but then we began to drink alcohol like on week weekends and my dad got cancer when I was 15 and then everything went sideways it went totally down um, the worse my dad got the more the more I drank um, I played a lot of soccer, so I mixed soccer, alcohol. I began to eat and throw up when I was around 15, 16. So I was a total, total mess. And when my dad had his 50th birthday, I was 16. I was so drunk, you know. And it was like a big fancy party at the bank. And uh, I had a football game uh, the next day. Me and my sisters lived in a town three hours from there, so we were supposed to take the train from there. And I was so drunk. And this it's oh, so disgusting. This old bartender, around 60, he served me. He kept serving me gin and orange juice all night. And he was hitting on me hard. And, I mean, my dad and his wife, they were so busy having this party with all these people, like 100 people. And I was so drunk. And my sister pulled me home later, and I fell asleep. And and then they they just rushed off to the train. They didn't wake me up, and I woke up in panic. And I had to just run after them to the train without shower, without taking anything, my old party clothes on, and just, you know, terrible. And I was so hungover. And then I played the best game of my life. So this is actually one thing. Alcohol has always kind of given me an extra level of fuel or excellence, actually, until it went totally wrong. But my soccer enhanced. I got better. I performed because it was like I had this extra sugar energy fuel in me. So I could run, run, run. I became faster, which is also strange. But I can honestly tell you that my best games that I ever played, I played totally. I probably drunk, actually. Anyhow, fast forward, my dad, his cancer gets worse. My my alcoholism, I call it, gets worse. So I have bulimia. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my mom throws me out. She doesn't want me to live at home anymore. Uh, my dad... Uh, doesn't and this is also this is the effect of having an alcoholic child we went skiing me and my sisters and my dad almost every year this year mom threw me out 
So I was living with friends that was 17, and my sisters shared the room with dad. I shared the room with my other sister, and then the sister shared the room with the dad, with my other dad, came in, and she was crying, and we were like, why are you crying? Because I asked dad, where are you going to be? Where are you going to live? And he said, well, I don't know how she's going to make it. Maybe she has to prostitute herself to, to make her way forward. And I cut that moment when that happened, I cut my daddy off. It was like February 1985. Uh, I was 17. We had like a few days left skiing. I didn't speak to him. Not one single word. And um, when we took the bus to the airport, he was standing there crying. I didn't look at him. I didn't say goodbye. And my sister said, Dad is crying. And I didn't turn around. And that was that. Then my dad's cancer got worse. My alcoholism got worse. Dad bought me an apartment. That was really like, he bought me an apartment. So I moved to live on my own. And then like six months later, he died. Uh, we didn't have any, you know, uh, we didn't close this chapter in our lives. We didn't make up. We hung out some in the summer, but it wasn't, it wasn't in a good way. And, yeah, this is a crying moment, sorry. But I guess, I guess this is what this podcast it at least is about. I wrote my dad in the summer, I wrote him a letter. Saying that I loved him so much. And I was sorry. And... I sent it to him, you know, it was the times when you send people letters and I sent it to him and he didn't speak about it and then he ended up in the hospital like in, in August, September and yeah, I didn't ask about it either and in late September he died. And sorry, sorry but oh, I'm going to take, I'm going to take some water, okay. Anyhow, we're in the hospital and I'm really, I'm telling you, I'm severely dependent on alcohol and we are in in the hospital. I'm sitting there, the other ones are out having coffee and I'm holding his hand and he's been unconscious for like a day, maybe he's so high on morphine and then he dies and I'm sitting there holding his hand and he dies. sorry but it's like it's like these days whenever I have a crying opportunity I take it because I know it's healing inside anyhow when they pack up you know when someone dies they come and pack up stuff you know and we go out in the room and they arrange him you know and then he was sleeping with my letter under his pillow and I guess that's kind of, yeah, I guess that's kind of some kind of making up. I assume we're going to cut here and take this piece out. I don't know. Anyhow, my alcoholic behavior did not, uh, after that passing, it did not, uh, what do you say, 
decrease. So it escalated, of course, a lot, like rocket, like just. So I began to, yeah, drop out of school. My last year in in school, I was 18 now, and uh, I had like the highest absence in the whole history of school. And uh, I was out drinking in my town where we were living. We had clubs open six days out of seven for students. So I was out there clubbing, meeting new guys, new boyfriends every week. And just, you know, it was, it was, life was a total, total nightmare. And daytime I threw up, I threw up after I came home from clubbing. And, you know, so it was just like a, a big, big fog of, uh, alcohol, partying, <laughs> eating, throwing up, dating guys, playing soccer. <laughs> that was also the, the, the strange part. I hang on to that for a while. <laughs> Anyhow, I began, I finished school. I began, of course, already was working in the restaurant business. So I began to work in a, in a nightclub. And that's where I met the daddy of my two Ellis children he was working in the casino I was working as a waitress so it was a perfect match and he was very into me and I was very you know flattered that he was because he was kind of a somebody in this club and um, I had a really sweet boyfriend at the time and I I just dumped him for for this other guy (laughs) and my friend she asked, where, where did she go? Like, where did Shama go? And another friend said, she, she, she left. She wanted to, to ride the Mercedes. So that was me, 19 years old. I wanted to ride the Mercedes, and I did. And just like one week after, we moved in together. That was the days. That's what we did those days. So I moved in with him. I rented out my apartment, and uh, we were a couple. And then began total, total weird years a couple of years he was working casinos I was waiting tables you know and uh, there was a lot of criminal activity involved because it was the gambling business and um, yeah there was there was so much stuff happening and I was super insecure and alcoholic so when I was 19 and a half I think like six months in or something in this relationship, I tried to commit suicide the first time. Back then, in those days, when something tragic happened, there was not an opportunity to go see a psychologist or, you know, to have some therapy or... It was just not the way back then. So it was really no one who asked me, do you need any help? You know, when that died, um, no one really offered or asked to help me and so I kind of managed on my own with alcohol you know at least I survived these years I can say and I think alcohol is kind of a reason why I did survive because I had an escape and I managed to kind of make it through those years from 15 to 19 and then this suicide attempt it wasn't it wasn't drastic it was just like taking maybe five or six not so good pills, but anyhow, I walked out when the ambulance came and I, it wasn't a biggie. 
<clears throat> except that it was a big, big cry for help, of course. And eventually we moved to a bigger apartment, got pregnant, had Rachel, and yeah, that was that. And then we separated when Rachel was one year old because it wasn't a good relationship. I felt super alone. He was working all the time, daytime, nighttime. He was always gone. I was always alone. And I just felt like I don't want to live like this. So we, I got an, an apartment on my own. And Rachel and I moved when she was one year old. And yeah, eventually, two months later, we met. And I got pregnant again. We met on New Year's Eve, actually, 1990. And then my son was was um, conceived so I was 22 uh, had one child of a year and was expecting another child and I still of course had my alcoholic issues so I went from total severe alcoholic at 21 uh, got pregnant not at 20 got pregnant had a baby and was totally sober like for yeah until more or less that New Year's Eve when Ludwig was was conceived so so I know that you can step out of alcohol you don't have to hang in you know it doesn't have to be present your whole life every every day and I was accepted at air traffic control school and um, which was a really really big thing it was like 3,000 applicants and 25 was were accepted and I was one of them I did all the tests breastfeeding Ludwig you know 23 years old and I was super super ambitious so so I moved to to the south of Sweden and we had a nanny with Rachel at home here with her dad and I had a nanny in the south of Sweden uh, with uh, my son and I went to school and it was super tough this school it was like uh, you know super it's one of the hardest schools in the world and uh, the pressure is hard both mentally and also, of course, your skills. You have to be super skilled. And, and of course, there at school, we partied a lot. Really, really a lot. And uh, we had already broken up. The father of the kids and I, we had already broken up. So, um, so I dated a few guys there. It wasn't like a big thing. But then at the party, um, uh, sorry, at uh, I made like a, an internship at the... Uh, what do you say, an airfield, air force, at the air force, an air force base, that's what you say, and there I met a guy, he was showing us how to fly in a simulator, how to fly in a fighter jet, and I just felt like, wow, this guy, this guy, I like, I from the very moment I saw him, I just felt like this guy, and a few weeks later, we were invited to the same party. And since then, we were a team, him and me. We were just like inseparable. And I never had that, except like this time, you know, to really feel like this closeness to a person, that this person is home, that this person is... It took me a while. I must say it took me a while to trust this. He was certain from the very start. I was certain in my heart, but I didn't trust him to be there. I didn't trust it to last. He was super good looking. He was a fighter pilot. He wasn't a, a model. 
he designed clothes, he, you know, he climbed mountains, he deep dived, he um, yeah, jumped parachutes, you know, he was this, you know, he was like a mission impossible guy. And he wanted to be with me when my two little kids, like one and three years old. And uh, I remember his mom says, why, Stefan, why do you need to meet someone who has kids already? And he said, well, it's not my choice. It, it, is, it is what it is. And that was his only, what shall I say, condition to me, that I wanted to have another child. And of course I said, yes. So there was one time when I met him, like one month after we met, I was out partying with my, my friends. And a, a friend of mine, a guy, he wanted to come with me and stay over with me at my flat. And I said, sure, it's okay, because he lived, uh, he didn't live that far away, actually. And eventually he made a pass on me during the night. And I was like, my alcoholic brain, I was drunk. I felt like floating, like, yeah, this is how you do it. And then I just like snapped out of it. And I said, no, sorry, sorry, I have a boyfriend. And up until that moment, I have always fucked everything up everything every good thing I had I felt I fucked it up and this time I was this close to cheat on you know my person that I really know this is my person in my heart I was this close to do it and and I just wonder that if he hadn't died a year and a half later would I would I have been able to be faithful to him would I have been able to not drink our relationship away honest to god i don't think so but we won't find out because he died he passed uh, he, he crashed his plane when i was 26 he was supposed to be 30 we were just engaged to get married um and there i told you about that in another episode anyhow when stefan died my alcoholism just had an upswing. Like, of course, of course. I was so... And I can tell you, the worst thing I know, the total worst thing ever, 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 is to be sad and to want to die and to know that your reason to live is gone and you drink alcohol. Because there is no soothing effect in alcohol. For me, at least. It doesn't work for me. Alcohol never brings happiness in. It just numbs me, you know. It just makes me float away. It makes me do things I would normally never, never do. And it makes me end up in situations with people that I would never, never normally join. So alcohol for me has always had this extreme negative consequence. I've passed out so many times. I threw up so many times. I ended up in guys, random guys' uh, apartments so many times. I am so super lucky that I've never been raped or, you know, abused uh, in that way. So for me, alcohol has always a negative side effect because there's been so, mis so much misery in my life and alcohol has been my go-to place to soothe myself, to numb myself, but it never lifted me up from my misery. 
It's just the next morning, I just wanted to die. For me to be hangover is, is I want to die feeling. So anyhow, a couple of years really, and then I made so many, what should I say, I can't say bad decisions because they ended up in two beautiful children. But I had this feeling that no one will ever love me again. Life will never be good again. So the first random guy who actually falls in love with me, I marry him. And the second random guy who actually loves me, I get a baby with him. And so that was my life, like from 26 to 40, more or less. Then I began to... A friend of mine, she went to, uh, um, and I can't say, I haven't read Rachel's book, so I don't know what she's written, but it's not like my kid's life has been, you know, lined with alcohol and mom being drunk, lying in the sofa. No, it hasn't. I started up a company, uh, I built that company. I've always taken my alcohol things. I had a lot of fun with alcohol when I had run my company, between the years 2003 and 2008, we went on a lot of trade shows. And those of you who go to trade shows knows that after, you know, the show closes, the party begins. So I had so much fun during this trade show together with amazing people. I met amazing people here. And oh, the hangover, my God. Still, you want to die hangover and then you have another day at the trade show. But in a way, you know, you begin to drink early in the afternoon. You meet all these cool people from South Africa. Hi, Donald. I have a beautiful friend in South, Af South Africa that I met there. We had so much fun during this party. Lisa, one of my friends here in Stockholm, amazing woman. Um, we, we traveled a lot together and we had a lot of fun and crazy stuff also. Things you don't talk about at home, honestly. Anyhow, and Katarina, of course... Anyhow, those days, um, there was a lot of alcohol outside the family when I was away. But at home, I was like, you know, perfect mom, soccer training, practices, school, homework, food, food, shopping, running the company and doing this and that. And also taking care of a dysfunctional alcoholic husband, uh, always taking care of a guy, uh, which was really dragging me down. So, so. I always separated, ended up single, and then I kept moving, you know, this is how we roll. So my kids and I, I must say that all the four children and I, we we had like a cozy, super warm, loving family. My children love each other. I invented something that we call mandatory, cozy time, obligatorisk mysning, which meant that when Rachel and Lovie were teenagers and the... And the girls were were small um, I just shouted we had a big 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 house and I shouted and I said now it's mandatory cut, cozy time and in the sofa in 30 minutes and everyone came and we had really beautiful times we still have those those moments here when I can call call in the whole family and we we just hang out. I, I think you've seen it in Rachel's home. We just hang out in the sofa, watch TV, eat a lot, and just talk, 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 talk. And some sometimes someone falls asleep. Yeah. Anyhow, um, 
2006, I went to my first spiritual retreat. And that was a friend of mine who had been there. And she said, you have to go. You have to go there and you have to look at, at your grief when Stefan passed. You have to look at it. You have to go there. So I go there. I, th I felt it was terrible, total terrible. Yes, I want to add that three months after Stefan died, I tried to commit suicide. And this was a severe attempt, which meant I was hospitalized for three weeks. They locked me up. I couldn't get out for three weeks. And that turned actually this grief around because my kids, their dad came walking in the corridor with Rachel and Ludwig. And for the first time in three months, I saw my children. And I remember I see them coming, they walk in. I was like, this is my children. Wow. And I felt something in my heart. So I think my heart just shut down so hard so I didn't see my kids for three months. And here they came, you know. I When I say I didn't see them, I spent every day with them. Read them books, took them to daycare, you know, went to work, everything. But I was not present with them. I was so overwhelmed by grief. Anyhow, uh, where were we? My first spiritual retreat. On the very, very last day, day five out of five, I break down for the first time. And I realized, wow, I left my kids. I tried to kill myself. I left my kids. And I was so overwhelmed by guilt. And I just fell on the floor crying, 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 crying. And uh, one of the assistants came up to me and just held me and hugged me. And I told him I did this and I, it's unforgivable. I can never, how can I live with this? How can I live with this? Because I had pushed that down for 14, yeah, almost 12, 12 years. And he said, it's going to be okay. There is another course you can take. It's a trauma healing course. And I, so I went there. And then began my years of spiritual seeking and trying to fix myself. And during all these years, it's now 2006, it's 14 years, I continued to drink alcohol. It was like, after a while, the people I hook up on, uh, with on the retreats were the alcoholics. One of my close friends where I met in the first years, he's an alcoholic. He stopped like six years ago, I think. And we had so much fun. We were in love. We had, we drank, we did this and that. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So alcohol was still present. And then I did my spiritual seeking and I met so many dysfunctional men during these years. A German guy, he had like five girlfriends apart from me. None of us knew about each other because we were living in different cities and yeah, I met one alcoholic also, and uh, and then um, 2009, I met my my ex-husband, who was an alcoholic too. And when I met him, I kind of my um, my alcoholism and my consumption went down drastically. But he and I, we had also like it's so stupid, like the first day thing times we met we drank so much alcohol i remember he came over to my house and we finished we totally finished all the bottles in the house just him and i and i felt like wow this is a fun guy and um, so an alcoholic is not so good to detect another alcoholic because you don't know that you are one once yourself which means that the other people you seek up 
at parties, you know, when you're out, when you work and so on, you always connect with the alcoholic ones, the ones who love to party, who are a bit, you know, too much. And uh, so he and I, we were a perfect match in the beginning, except for him being not faithful and honest and my intuition going totally bananas. So I cut down on my alcohol really, really soon because I needed to save him. It was like that became my mission. So with him began six years of severe codependency. And I can say that it was is not the worst years of my life. Of course not. Because there was a lot of love. Um, but for my physical body and the stress level, the anxiety level, the worrying, there was the worst. Because if you live with an alcoholic, you know that there is always a money problem. Uh, there is always a, an unreliable aspect of the relationship. Uh, there are kids left alone. There are, you know, uh, things lost, cars broken, crashed, stolen stuff, keys. You need to change locks, not once, but twice. There's always like something you need to rescue, you need to, to, you know, there's a fire always, every week, which means that you can never leave the home. Uh, whenever I travel, he drank. Whenever he traveled, he drank. And there was always like another woman. And so it was like a nightmare of, of me trying to hold things together and him having a lot of fun. Of course, not a lot of fun only because he had a lot of anxiety, which meant he needed to drink more. And I remember New Year's when I like this doesn't work. We can't we can't have this. Not I. You gotta be sober on New Year's. This doesn't work. And he like yeah, I'm gonna be sober on New Year's. The thing is that when New Year's come, he's so depressed. The mood in the house is so low. There's no point to go to any party because everyone is drinking, so we can't be there because he can't be there because they are going to say that he should drink and he can't say that he has a problem. So we got to stay home. And this New Year's, around, you know, 12-ish or something, I just put myself in the car, go down, buy, like, four bottles of champagne. I buy vodka, I buy wine. I just, like, boom and bring it home, and then we have a party, and he's happy again, because I couldn't stand the depression, it's really like, you know, and the thing is, that it's so, so sad, the only affection I got the last year was when he was hangover, when he was hangover, and felt bad, because of what happened the day before, he, and I fixed, always fixed something, of course, he was like, I love you, Shama. I love you. I love you so much. I love you so much. And this love, as a codependent person in this relationship, his hangover days, and this is terrible, I, I'm sure, because I'm never alone in anything, I'm sure that people will recognize this. His hangover days, especially if he came home robbed or something, he loved me so much. And the last year, I'm like, I'm going to fucking have this love. If I can't have love in any other way, I'm going to have this love. 
So that's what that was our life the last year. Total terrible. It was right. I anyhow on New Year's 2015 things happened. There was uh, a lot of lies that came up during the morning. We were having friends over, and I. Um, those lies were revealed to me because I was gonna change music on Spotify and I went to his phone and then I saw like two or three text messages and uh, I just opened his phone and I read them and I just knew okay so he lied again and I some you don't know why when you're finished or why but this morning I was done I just like I went into him to the shower he was taking a shower and I said do you know what I'm not doing this anymore this is not this is not working anymore I've had it and I just went out in the car. I took his phone with me, went through all his SMS, all his texts, checked everything. And I just like, fuck you, asshole. And I went home. And when I came home, he had packed the bag. He took the bag and he left to never return. So a relationship of like almost six years ended on New Year's Eve 2015. And I was alone. And this was one of my, um, next to Stefan dying and dad dying, this was my, the darkest moment of my life. I thought, you know, I was naive and thinking that if I put, you know, my foot down and say, this is now, this is the, now it's enough. I thought that he would change, that we will go to therapy, that we will work our relationship, that, but he never returned. And for me... The loss, um, it was compared to someone dying, which meant that I couldn't drink. I mean, this New Year's Eve, I locked myself out. It was snowing. I was sitting in a random restaurant downstairs in total panic with my dog. Couldn't get in. He did not want to come and open. Uh, He was out at the party. So I sat there for a few hours, waited for some party people at around... 11.30 to walk out of the house so I could enter again and uh, yeah and from that it took like a month we were divorced and then I tried to commit suicide again and um, ended up in the hospital again locked up for three weeks and there I was dead for a little while Uh, they brought me back to life when they came and I think something happened there because when I woke up, there was something in me who wanted to live. There was something that was willing to fight. So, and I, I just fixed everything as I normally do. My sister, she was an angel. I have friends. My girlfriends were angels. When I woke up, I had five women sitting around my my bed, watching over me in the hospital. And uh, from there, I got a new apartment, I moved, and then I went on such a kind of egotistical, because my kids broke up with me, I didn't have any my children for a year almost, and I went on such an egotistical, um, for the first time in my life, I'm single, and I have a right to, to live. Uh, the problem is that that living included a lot of alcohol so from let's say from June 2015 
to June 2016, I used alcohol the way I used alcohol when I was 20. I began to date a lot of guys. I was out every week, went to, you know, downtown partying clubs, which I never did in like 35, 40 years, 30 years maybe. And and one day, one year later, I had a date. I stood him up because I, I, had, I felt it was so much more fun to drink with my friends, so I stood him up. And then I eventually showed up far too late and he he was like you are so as you're not coming in you're so drunk and I'm like hey why are you so stupid and then uh, however I wake up in the morning and the voice is talking to me in my bedroom and says Shama this doesn't work anymore and I sit up straight in my bed my head is like I have such a headache and the voice says again Shama this doesn't work anymore and I know I knew instantly that it was the alcohol. So I called my my ex-alcoholic friend, who I used to party with, and asked him where is an AA meeting I can attend. I was crying. I said, I need an AA meeting now. And it was around 9 o'clock, and 12 o'clock there was a meeting. So I went there. And since that day, June 15, 2016, I've been sober. It has not been has not been easy and it has not been difficult either I would say to not drink alcohol was perhaps the easy part but the feeling that your life is over that you're never ever going to have any fun again it's a grief in itself the belief that if you had have been drinking alcohol from, from year, when you were 14 to you were 48 it's quite a lot of time. And I would say I did not have to like a chemical reaction because I was not drinking like, you know, I had a couple of glasses of wine, but it was not like massive. But still, the first year was hard because I didn't have my kids yet. The same week I got sober, Rachel got pregnant with Leah Luna. So I'm sure it was a divine intervention, I'm sure. I, I am sure that we get these opportunities all the time. But as long as we drink, we don't see them. So I am fortunate, I'm super blessed that God or someone is talking to me. And I wished I could share this with every one of you. I can just say that the years I've been sober has been the best years of my life. It has not been the easiest ones. It has not been... You know, there's so much when you have a life that is kind of surrounded. Everything is around alcohol. Every social gathering, if you paint a wall, if you read a book, if you watch TV, uh, you have post-run glass of wine. You have like, I even, I made a sound. It was like four years ago, I did this with my hands. And... Uh, a friend of my, my, one of my kids said, wow, Shama, that's your, I'm going to have a glass of wine sound. So I even had a sound. Now I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine. That's how much my, my life um, was kind of evolved. I don't know, some words don't get me. I don't find them, but circling around alcohol. 
to not wake up hungover on New Year's Day is a blessing. To feel that I'm hungover and to know I'm not, that's a blessing. I'm thinking about people that I know was drinking. I met, I met a beautiful man. He was out drinking yesterday. This is, this is a challenge for me. Um, before I stayed away from guys drinking. And this last year I've been testing my wings, both relationship-wise, hanging out with guys I know is not perfect for me, just to see, can I stay with myself? Can I keep me as my priority? Can I be relating with this dysfunctional person and not uh, abandon myself? And I did that. I had a really, really big challenge in, a, in an American guy I was dating uh, the last year. And now, like, um, a couple of months back, met this person. He's out drinking. The last, the last two weeks he's been out, maybe, I don't know, 10 days out of 14. What do I do with that? Well, with my ex-husband, I didn't say anything. I just tagged along with this person. I said yesterday, do you know what? Um, this is not working for me. As far as I am concerned, you can have 10 girlfriends. Ex you know, you can be a, a sex addict. You can do drugs. Uh, I have absolutely no idea what you do when you're out. And to me, it's not working. Nothing you say. To me, I can trust. I can trust one thing with this person, and that's the feeling between us. I never or ever, let's say that 26 years ago, I had this feeling that this is my person. I have the same feeling with this man, that this is my person, you know. It's like, it's a shape, you know, it's like he is a shape, and I am a shape, and when we kind of connect we become one mold you know and it's a it's a super scary feeling I am I am shit scared of love I'm shit scared of you know I've already pro been processing him dying and me dying and I've been lying on the floor crying a couple of weeks back just saying I can't handle this I can't handle this not I'm not loving anyone like this again and I've kind of overcome that. I, I'm really like, my head is very clear. And to just realize that nothing you say, I can trust. What you do, I can trust. The question is, what are you going to do from now? And he was out yesterday. We connected, you know, before in the, uh, we met in, in, in the day. And then we connected in the evening and... He called me several times, and then after like one o'clock, one thirty, he got quiet. And now it's I don't know nine o'clock Swedish time, and he hasn't, you know, sent me text or called me. And I'm not worried because yesterday I said I said my things. I said, if this is how it's going to be, either you elevate and rise with me, and we do this together, or I leave you. That's it. So this is not an option for me. I cannot hang out with a person where alcohol is a major theme in their lives. 
I know that everyone, and trust me on this, I had every reason to drink. Every addict, every alcoholic has all the reason in the world to drink. There is something that happened way, way, way back. This is, this is also, behind every addict, there is a traumatized child. It's not saying that every traumatized child becomes an addict, but behind every addict, there is a traumatized child. The question is now, we are adults. We live the life. Yesterday I said to him, you know what, we have, next year we have 100 years of life experience together. How are we going to use it? You know? And I know, I know that he, from his heart, he really wants this. He really wants to be with me. He has, he is super scared. He is super overwhelmed. He is like really, he doesn't know what, what to trust, what is real, you know. It's also like we are both scared of love. And I hope that he wakes up and that he calls me and that 2020 is a year that is going to be different. And I know also I cannot change him. I can only, you know, I can only take care of me and be 100% certain that I'm not going down with him. If he, if this is the lifestyle, um, then I'm not joining. I'm not becoming codependent again. I'm not taking care of another alcoholic. Then I just walk away. This is it. For me, alcohol... Nothing happens, you know, nothing evolving. I wrote something. God talks to me. You know, he talks to me at times. I'm going to see if I can find it here. I write words. I call them words from God. Um, yeah, I write. Obviously, I write a lot. Friday, um, I said like this. There is a place in Stockholm called Stureplan. That's where all the you know, the cool cool people hang out. Nothing evolutionary is going on around Stureplan at night. It's just broken hearts and broken souls trying to find some temporary relief and comfort. It's an ocean of seeking and longing with no harbor or shore, and the only solution is to drown in alcohol. And I think that's that kind of sums it up. For me, there's nothing spiritual in alcohol. There is nothing, you know, no thought gets crispier or clearer. Absolutely no thought becomes more true. The amount of lies when you drink, how you cover up, how you lie to people you love, how you abandon, how you disappoint, how you let people down because of alcohol, and how you add to your own burden because of it. But that is not a, it's not a train I'm going to ride anymore. And um, I can just say to all of you who feel that you have an alcoholic, everything that happened in my life, when I look back, I blame my father for saying that his 17-year-old daughter could prostitute herself to make a living. I blamed him for that. My whole entire life, I couldn't forgive him. And when I became sober, I'd see myself in a different light, you know. I see my dad, how incapable he was to handle this situation. 
I can see how much he loved me sleeping with my letter in the hospital, you know, um, crying. My stepmom said he cried so much. He cried so much. And he was so sorry. But my dad was not the person to say, I'm sorry. We never had an adult conversation, him and I. And I can say that if I hadn't abused so much alcohol, my whole life, my whole situation would have been different. I would not have been, you know, this impossible person as, at 16, 17, you know, worrying the shit out of my mom and my sisters, you know. No one would ever talk to me in those terms that I could prostitute myself if it wasn't for alcohol. I know I would never have ended up with this criminal persons, you know. No one would ever have threatened to kill me if it wasn't because of alcohol and drugs. And I can just say that alcohol took me, it did one thing for me, it took me out of my shy personality. And uh, this is something I have been needing to work with a lot since I became sober. To find an inner security, you know, to find self-confidence, to grow in self-love and to actually be able to be with people without having a glass of wine, to be myself with people. And this I can say, that this person I met now, who I feel in my heart, he's the first guy I am myself with. It's like this love demands it from me. You be yourself, you speak your voice. If you lose him, that's it. That's not the way you just, this is like, you do this right now. And when I say right, it's not, right is not getting the guy to love me and marry me and have, you know, if I was younger, another baby and make me feel safe. The right way is to rise together or I rise alone. So to remove alcohol for me, it's the major step to healing. I don't think that you can be an honest seeker as long as you use drugs or an alcohol or any other kind of escapes when you have anxiety. Because anxiety is what drives addiction, you know, until it becomes a habit or a chemical dependency. But to all of you struggling with alcohol, I never did any drugs. I tried but it didn't work, so I didn't, yeah, I think God saved me from that. I tried to smoke marijuana seven times, I never got high, so I'm not going to do it an eighth time. But if you feel that alcohol is an issue in your life, um, then I would strongly suggest AA is a really good place to go. People have gone there for since 1932, I think, and we are sober. Hello, I have friends. I have friends I met the same time as I came into this program. We are still sober. We have like three, four, five, some have 10, some have 20. I met a person, I have a new friend, um, a guy. I hope to bring him to the show. He has been sober 26 years, like since he was 25 or something. We have young people coming in. One of my kids is sober since a couple of years back. My sister is sober and we are not poor people before I for me to t take out alcohol from my life was like life lost its meaning there was no silver lining anymore 
What do you even do at midsummer if you don't drink? I mean, Christmas, how do you celebrate Christmas? New Year's Eve, my God, without having a bottle of champagne. It's crazy. You can't set, you have to, you have to cancel all the holidays now. Um, and I can tell you that's not the way. We have, I have the, the greatest experience in holidays sober. I celebrated Midsummer in Aruba this year and it was beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. I'm so happy. I'm so grateful. I'm so, I feel now this is a crying moment too because I'm, I feel I'm so grateful that I have been sober every day in Lea Luna's life. Lea Luna has never seen her grandma on the effect of any substance, you know. She's never seen me tipsy or, you know, tired or... She hasn't seen me as anyone else but myself. Because this is what alcohol did to me. It added a layer of a different personality. And that personality, that behavior, is not who I am. It, it was not who I am. And it covered up my essence. So... If you're interested in, in coming back to your essence, and I think that is what healing is about, to get back to our essence and to, to become the people we are meant to be when we were born perfect and innocent. And I feel that for me it was crucial to take out alcohol from my equation to remove layers of, you know, behavior and patterns that was covering up who I am. So for me to even think that I would record a podcast on New Year's Day crying not only once but twice in public, I could never imagine when I was drinking. Wherever you are, wherever you are at, there is a different way. There is always, if you're struggling with something, there is always another way. And there is always, if you are struggling, there is always a better way. And uh, you're welcome to contact me, Shama. My email is Shama Parson, Shama Parson, double S P E R S S O N at gmail.com. Um, is there a plane flying by now? This was an hour long podcast. I don't know how long they're going to be. They're very, very random now, both. Yeah, it's, I guess it's my gut, my feeling, what I need to share or want to share that that's going to set the length. And yes, uh, if you need help, any 12-step program is beautiful. Because in the 12 steps, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about sobriety and recovery. I'm going to do that. In a, I'm just going to leave it here. I'm just going to say that alcohol, the consequences of alcohol in anyone's life is not enlightened. You know, it's not elevating us. It's not making us rise and heal. It just adds layers and layers and layers of behavior and patterns that become a hindrance to us in connection, in relation to other people. They say that every alcoholic affects 10 people, the circles, but I would say the circles are much, much, much wider because those circles have kids too. Everyone who worried about me, they had kids too. They had families too. 
And I don't want to put anyone in that situation again. I want to be, for me, it's very, very important to be a reliable person. I want people to trust me. I want people to feel safe with me. I want people to feel that I am a go-to place if they need support. I don't want to be that random person who is a lot of fun but cannot be trusted. So every day I cultivate my sobriety. I, I talk to God and the universe a lot. I try to tweak and change my behaviors so I can be the person I want to be. You know, sometimes, some days when I do things, you know, when I go shopping for my neighbor who's 92 or, you know, when I go help someone who needs help, then I feel, wow, I am the person I want to be. Before I used to think, wow, I want to be like that person. And now I am the person I want to be. So I finish with those words. And today is the first day of 2020 I don't even know if you say 2020 or 2020 I hope it's going to be a beautiful and sober year for many many of us and that we're going to have a lot of fun too okay I love you puss <laughs>